What earth-shaking event happened October 31st, 1938 at Wilmoth Farm in Grover's Mill, New Jersey? Welcome to a special program, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Public Health Preparedness on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. James James. Dr. James is the director of the American Medical Association Center for Public Health Preparedness and Disaster Response and editor-in-chief of the journal Disaster Medicine and Public Health Preparedness. Upon retirement from the military, Brigadier General James received the Distinguished Service Medal. He is the chair of the National Disaster Life Support Foundation Board of Directors and serves on several Institute of Medicine forums. Today we are discussing new recommendations for vaccine preparedness to protect disaster survivors. Hi, Dr. James. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's uh, really wonderful to be here, and I look forward to it. The Martians in H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds had no resistance to the bacteria in our atmosphere to which we have become immune. Once they had breathed the air, I quote, they were killed by the putrefactive and diseased bacteria against which their systems were unprepared, slain after all man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God, in his wisdom, put upon the earth. I guess as far back as 1938, even H.G. Wells appreciated the necessity of vaccines in the face of disaster. Are we ready now to face a disaster? You've just been dealing with a hurricane recently. Do we have the vaccines we need, and are we prepared to meet the disasters? If we look at things in the narrow context of vaccines, and none of these answers are yes or no. Too often we think in dichotomies, we're ready, we're not ready. I think we really need to think of how ready we were and how great an improvement we've made and how close are we to maximizing that improvement. But to say we're not ready or are ready, I think that really doesn't address the issue. But in terms of vaccines themselves, we really need to look at the potential pathogens that we're dealing with. And obviously, there's a tremendous dichotomy between the viral pathogens, the bacterial pathogens, and the protozoa, etc. But obviously, in the work we do, we're more focused on the viral and bacterial. When you break it down further, and you want to separate out what we do in terms of responding to more localized events such as a bombing, et cetera, then we're really in that world of vaccines. We're looking at some of those diseases that can be transmitted by blood or other fluids, such as hepatitis B or HIV, et cetera, as opposed to the larger impact phenomena that might come from an anthrax attack or in today's concerns through a pandemic influenza attack. And so we almost need to look at the individual things. And let's look at anthrax. We do have a vaccine. It has unfortunately had a great deal of controversy surrounding it, but we do have a vaccine. And I feel if the risk was high enough, perceived risk high enough for a mass attack with anthrax, that would be one of the approaches we'd have to look at, getting away from vaccines 
the good news with anthrax is if you begin treatment early, at least with known strains, you can treat it. When we're looking at the more realistic or at least more probable scenario of a new pandemic, especially an influenza pandemic, then we're in a different quandary. By the very definition of pandemic influenza, we're dealing with a strain for which there is no or very little measurable immunity in the human population, and therefore a vaccine has not been prepared against that. Do you think about disaster-specific pathogens? Like if you, if someone says hurricanes coming, you think of Group A. If you think of bioterrorism, it's Group B. How, how do you, in your own mind, conceptualize the preparedness? It's such a complex phenomenon because you know we we talk about all hazards preparation. If you think of the multiple multiple types of events that can occur in different population densities and in different parts of the world where different pathogens may or may not have taken hold there again is no single answer to that but if we're looking at the United States and areas in the United States, and we're looking at the experience we just went through where we were fortunate to be able to uh, dispatch some of our assessment team and work with some colleagues at Texas Southwestern, where we're looking at large displaced populations, we're looking at areas that have been inundated with uh, water, sewage systems are knocked out, etc. Then we really need to be concerned about the age-old pathogens of Salmonella, Shigella, typhoid, the enteric infections, and be on constant guard against that and be ready to intervene if those kinds of outbreaks do, in fact, occur. If we're talking, again, about a more traumatic type of event, then we're looking at, of course, the classical staph and strep infections that might accompany traumatic injury, but we're also looking at the transmission, potentially, of viruses such as hepatitis B that can be transmitted on a bone fragment or some other vehicle from person to person in that kind of an event. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us for this special program on disaster medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. James James, Editor-in-Chief of the journal Disaster Medicine and Public Health Preparedness. We're discussing new recommendations for vaccine preparedness to protect disaster survivors. I'm a pediatrician, and obviously vaccination is something near and dear to my heart. Are there things that general primary care physicians should be doing now to immunize their patients? For instance, hepatitis A obviously is now recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC for all all Americans. Are there other vaccines that perhaps especially the adult population may not be getting that they really need to go in and ask the doctors for or that the doctors next time they see their patients should be saying, you know, I want you to get a tetanus booster. I want you to get this vaccine or that vaccine. What do you recommend? Well, I think the one you mentioned is far and away the most important and that is the tetanus booster. Even an individual who is severely injured, if he 
has adequate base protection and has had a booster or tetanus prophylaxis within five years, he is almost 100% safe. And the recommendation becomes that if it's been five or more years, then tetanus needs to be applied. So in everyday practice, I think it is highly advisable for the family practitioner, the primary care practitioner, to ensure adequacy of tetanus immunization. The other is hepatitis B. Hepatitis B is uh, very highly transmissible. There have been several cases reported of hepatitis B infection, again, from bone fragments, etc. A large percentage of our population has been previously vaccinated with hepatitis B, and I think that's another one that pediatricians and adult practitioners should be focused on and try to ensure maximum protection levels in our population. The final one is the one we all go through every year, and that's the annual influenza vaccination, and that's extremely important, I think, for a whole variety of reasons, not the least of which is to give vaccine producers an outlet for their product and the incentive and the ability to develop the newer vaccines, which can be generated in a much shorter period of time than the current six months. You had mentioned the pandemic flu. Avian flu is another strain that is causing a great deal of concern. Does the classical, the standard influenza vaccine give any protection whatsoever, as far as you know, against avian flu, even a nonspecific immune boost? You've got to remember, with avian influenza, it is avian flu influenza. It is a subtype which is not common in human infection, the H5N1. Previous pandemic influenza strains have tended to be H1, H2, or H3, because the avian is mainly confined to birds, there's going to be a very low level of natural immunity in the human population. But at the same time, this has been around for over 10 years, and it's obvious that the H5N1 subtype is not a highly infectious virus to humans. That doesn't mean it's not dangerous, because if it crosses over with another routine flu virus common to man, one of the ones year to year, that's when you get the pandemic strain that's not only highly lethal, but highly infectious. Are there any new vaccines that you see on the horizon? There are new technologies on the horizon. And I don't want to get too, too technical, but we do have an overall professional audience. Of course, it's the engineered vaccines, which are based on the same blood samples, the same antigen antibody things that we currently produce are egg-based vaccines. The problem is the egg-based vaccine, to get it out there for large numbers in the population, takes six to eight months. With the newer genetic approaches and human cell approaches, you're looking at time frames that might cut that down from six months to three months to two months. And if we are able to reach that point, then our ability to get the product out before the pandemic has really gotten its hold worldwide is much higher. But I think the most exciting thing, if you think about this, why do you get a measles shot and it's good for life? 
you get a lot of flu shots, but they only last a year or a couple of years or give you immunity to that one strain. And the reason is the antigen against which the vaccine works for the measles virus, if it mutates, the virus dies. It's essential to the virus. Whereas the H1 and N1 are not essential to the nature of the influenza virus. So some of the work, a lot of the work, is trying to look at, is there a universal of those 12 genes or so that comprise the influenza virus? If we can identify one that's critical to being an influenza virus and then be able to come up with a mechanism against it, maybe you could come up with a more universal antiviral. I'd like to thank Dr. James James, who's been my guest on this special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Public Health Preparedness, on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and we've been discussing vaccine preparedness to protect disaster survivors. I invite you to listen to our on-demand program library by visiting us at ReachMD.com. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.